Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. This series, The Beauty of Jesus, has been something that I've wanted to teach for the past number of years. As I started out this series a few weeks ago, I made mention of the fact that you can be in a church and go every Sunday, every Wednesday night, and we hear about all kinds of different messages. We'll hear about messages about faith. You might hear about messages about how to have a great you know, relationship with your wife or your spouse or, and relationships in general, how to forgive, how, how to prosper. And you can go months without really talking about the central figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we're talking about principles. We may talk about principles of the Holy Spirit and things of this nature. But every once in a while, we need to really hone in on and focus in on the, the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. We're talking about the beauty of Jesus. And like I talked about the very first week, we're not talking about Jesus' physical appearance. You know, people have so many different opinions of what he looked like, how tall he was, how short he was, you know, what color eyes, what color hair. None of that matters. What matters is, is that he made a decision from his heart that he would honor the heart of the Father and come to this earth to rescue us, to redeem us, to give us the choice whether to receive him and by receiving him, receiving salvation or the choice to reject him and spend all of eternity separated from him. We're talking about the fact that he loves us so much that he'll take us just as we are. But because he loves us so much, he refuses to leave us just like we are. And so he'll work with us and he'll, he'll compassionately, very lovingly uh, bring us along this journey of holiness, this journey of living more and more separate from this world and more and more in the image and likeness of who he is. Amen. Psalm 103, I read to you a couple weeks ago, starting in verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. I love this scripture. He remembers that we're dust. He, he knows you, he knows you. He knows what you've been exposed to. He knows how you're wired. He knows what's gonna push your button. He knows how to motivate you. He knows what, can, what he can expect from you. And I thank God for that. The beauty of Jesus also, as you heard last week from Pastor Matt, who did such an awesome job. The beauty of Jesus is that he stepped into our mess. That he, he, he willingly left perfection in heaven and came down here to step into the mess that was your life and my life. And I'm so, I'm so glad he did. I don't know about you, but I'm glad he did. I'm sure you are too, right? This weekend... I want to conclude by looking into a side of Jesus that we normally don't talk about. I want us to see the side of Jesus in his beauty even when he has to bring correction to us. 
Has anybody here ever had to be corrected by the Lord? I would hope to God every hand would go up. Think about it now. Just think about it now. Think about one time. Lift your hand up if you can remember one time when the Lord had to correct you in a situation. Now, now I didn't say man corrected you. I said he corrected you. There's a big difference when man corrects and when Jesus corrects. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And that's how we're going to finish this series up and prepare our hearts for, for resurrection Sunday next week for the Easter weekend. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 32 in the New Living Translation says, if you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. Turn to somebody and say, and say correction is good. And I noticed some of you didn't want to hear that one. <laughs> correction is good. Now, I, I, I'm asking you please, we've got a short period of time to accomplish what needs to be accomplished tonight. I need you to really pay attention because I need to move quick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a couple of instances in the life of Jesus and his ministry. They're, they're fairly familiar, you'll be fairly familiar with them. And then I want to take you to an illustration that Jesus used, a very powerful one, just really the night before he went to the cross. So I want to take you to John chapter 8. And John chapter 8 is probably one of the most famous stories in Jesus' ministry. We're going to start in verse 3. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. This wasn't a rumor. This wasn't a story. She's caught in the act of adultery. Okay, so they take her and they put her in front of the crowd to humiliate her. Verse 4, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They're trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus, now listen to close, listen close. Don't miss anything here because every one of these verses is extremely important. They make this accusation against this woman. They bring her to him. They, they present to him what he already knows is the law of Moses. And then they say, what do you say? So they're expecting a vocal response. They're expecting an answer. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But what does Jesus do? He stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They're not satisfied. Verse 7 says, they kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Amen. Beautiful story, yes? yes? But most of the times when this portion of Scripture is read, we emphasize the forgiveness of Jesus. And we need to. But I want, what I want us to see tonight is the beauty in Jesus, the beauty that's revealed in him, in the way he handles this correction. You see, because verse 11 says, go and sin no more. What Jesus is saying, although you deserve execution, go on with your life, however, 
Don't fall back into this mess again. Why is it that we never want to talk about this part? We're blown away by the forgiveness of Jesus. We're blown away. Because if there was anybody in the crowd that should have thrown the first stone, it could have been him. Yes? yes. But he pardons her. He forgives her. But normally when the story is told, we stop at that point. Neither do I. But he didn't stop there. You see... Jesus understands better than anybody the implications of adultery. And he wants to forgive her. But he wants her to experience a forgiveness that just doesn't let her off the hook, but that frees her from that sin for the future. Amen? The beauty of Jesus is this, church, listen. That he sternly, but lovingly, brings us into a place of correction. Sternly, because he knows the destructive nature of sin. And sin needs to be dealt with sternly. We can't make light of it. We can't, see, sin is, is, is much of a problem for us after we get born again than it is before. See, before we get born again, you sin because you're a sinner. It's, that's what you do. Fish swim, birds fly. It's what you do. But you see, when we willingly sin after we're born again, and we can, we've all proved it. No argument there. We say, well, well you know, we, we would say, well, well, you know, Pastor, what's the difference? You know, Jesus, when he died on the cross, died for all my sins and paid for my sin, past, present, future. Yeah, but Jesus isn't the only person you need to be concerned about when we sin. You see, for the Christian, for the person who has the Spirit of God living in their heart and is on their way to heaven. Now maybe that sin can't send you to hell. But that sin can open up the door for the enemy to come into your life here right. to make it hell for you. Yes. So Jesus says to this woman, go. I don't condemn you. But sin no more. All right, you got off this time. But you can't keep opening up the door. Because the devil is looking for an opportunity to come into the life of Christians. And sin gives him that opportunity. Are you listening? I, I know this isn't one of the messages you're going to stand up and hoop and holler and hallelujah, I'm glad I came to church tonight. But listen, we need to, we need to, we need to meditate on these truths. He deals sternly because he knows the destructive nature of sin. But listen, he deals lovingly with us because he knows how fragile our human nature is. You notice he didn't berate her. He didn't go into a long list of make sure you don't do this and stop doing that. And, and I can't believe when you did, don't you think he knew her whole life? But he lovingly releases her from the consequence of her actions. But with the warning, the admonition. And I by no means think that Jesus did this in, in a disgust like, look, you, you know, go. Go live your life. But you know, don't sin anymore. Now, if it was one of us, 
we would have said to her, okay, listen, I'm going to be watching you. <laughs> yes or no? I'm going to be watching you. And if I see that you're doing good, then I'll forgive you. No, no, he forgives. He forgives. But listen, what kind, what kind of love would he display if he didn't also treat her like a daughter, treat her like a sister and say, listen, don't put yourself in this position anymore. We want to believe she received this correction. We'll find out when we get to heaven. Now, let me take you to another lesson in the same story. Okay? As he's speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and put her in front of the crowd. Look at the motivation of these people's hearts. Where do they put her? They, 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 they throw her. One translation says they throw her at Jesus' feet. Their intention is that they're going to punish this woman as much as they possibly can. They're going to get as much shame. They're going to get as much notoriety. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to make it so this woman can't show her face in that town again. And then it picks up here in verse 4. And it's a teacher. Again, let's go through it again. They said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The Lord Moses says to stone her, what do you say? As they were trying to trap him from saying something they could use against him. But Jesus, what does he do? He stoops down and he writes in the dust with his finger. And they keep demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let one of you who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when his accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. You know the rest of the story. What was Jesus writing in the dust? Now, I've heard people, and I heard this for many, many years. Well, he was writing down their sin. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because it doesn't line up with the nature of God. Now, for him to, to just stoop down and start running is an odd response to that accusation. But to say that he's writing down their sins, I got scripture to prove it. Psalm 103, verse 10 says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Is that true? Amen. Is it in the Bible? Amen. Yeah. Is, is this God's nature? Yes. So if Jesus wouldn't allow this woman to be punished for her sin, how could he then turn around and shame these men? He'd be contradicting himself. This bothered me for years. And, and the one truth you have to realize is that the beauty of Jesus is this, and you need to get this down in your heart, because some of us have been religiously brainwashed throughout the years. God the Father, or Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, never use natural things to punish a person for their sin. Never. Never. God uses the word of God to correct us. God doesn't use guilt and condemnation. So, well, are you going to tell us, Pastor? Yeah. I found it in the Old Testament. 
Some of you have heard me teach this before. And I love teaching this because I hate when man-made traditions nullify the word of God. And most of the church world believes that Jesus is writing down their sins when he stooped in the dust. The fact is this. In order to understand what took place on that day, now we're talking about John chapter 8, this incident when they caught this woman, they brought her to him in front of everyone, most likely very scantily clad, if not naked. Because if they caught her in the act of adultery, they're dragging this woman right out of bed. But you won't understand this until you read John chapter 7, which takes place the day before. John chapter 7, to just condense things here, I'm going to start at verse 37. Okay? On the last day, the great day of the feast, obviously there was this Jewish feast that was going on. And on the day after this feast is when they brought this woman, caught in the act of adultery, brought into Jesus. But that day before, these same Pharisees, these same religious teachers of the law, are at this feast in Jerusalem with Jesus. On that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, King James says out of his belly, it's out of the core of your being, will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those who believe would receive. For the Holy Spirit had not yet given because Jesus is not yet glorified. Okay, let me explain everything I just said. There's this very important feast in Jerusalem. During this particular feast, they would take thousands of gallons of water from the pools and the springs surrounding Jerusalem, especially the pool of Siloam, which was a whole other miracle that Jesus did. And they would take this water up to the Temple Mount. And at a particular time during this feast, and it's probably at the time that Jesus spoke and made this declaration, if you're thirsty, come unto me. They would take these thousands and thousands of gallons of water, release them on top of the Temple Mount. The water would go through all out the Temple compound, pouring out from all the different portals and different gates, pour out into the city of Jerusalem, signifying and symbolizing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is identifying himself with this water. He's identifying himself as the river of living water, which Isaiah talked about and Jeremiah talked about. That was on that day. If you read the rest of the chapter, they reject him. In fact, they send guards to go arrest him. And they can't. The very next day, they bring this woman. You got the context? Okay. So, the next day they bring her. He had presented himself the day before as the river in Little War, the fount of life, the one who brings refreshing, and these same Pharisees rejected him. The next day when he brings the woman who's caught in the sin, when they bring the woman who's caught in sin, he doesn't strike out at them. He doesn't declare they're going to hell. He gently reminds them of a scripture in the book of Jeremiah, which they would have been very familiar with. And I'll read it to you. Jeremiah 17, 13. I'll never forget years, a couple of decades ago, when I came across this scripture, I went, oh my God, this is what was going on that day. Jeremiah wrote, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust. Because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. 
the beauty of Jesus is this, that he knows that the power to change someone is not through condemnation, but through the power of the word of God. And that's why when he stooped down, oh my God, I can't wait to get there and see the rerun. <laughs> These guys remember what they had done the day before. The whole reason why they're trying to trap him is because they couldn't arrest him the day before. Go read the chapter. So they come back the next day and they figure, let's do this legally. Because if they trap him saying something wrong, they have legal right to arrest him. He knows what they've done. He knows that they knew when the day before, when he stood in that temple and said, if any of you thirst, come unto me, and it'll come up out of him as it had been prophesied by Isaiah, rivers of living water. And they rejected him. So now the next day they show up. Picture, put yourself in the scene. They're all smug. They've got this woman. She's half naked. They think they've got him now. And he's, but listen, the beauty of Jesus is that he's not doing this out of vengeance. He's bringing correction. He's trying to shake them up and say, open your eyes. Don't you realize what you did yesterday? You're worried about what she did today, but you're not concerned about what you did yesterday. She's embraced immorality, but you're rejecting salvation. And so he stoops, and what does he do? He writes their names in the dust, and I guarantee you he started with the oldest. Why? Who was the first one that took off? The oldest. And then they, I hope to God that they went home and said, what did we do? Because when their names were written in the dust, it had to trigger Jeremiah 17. We're guilty. We're guilty. Now, I, I have to believe that some of them repented and believed because later on, even especially in the Gospel of John, it says that some of the priests and some of the Pharisees did believe in Jesus. Amen. And even after in the book of Acts, it says that some of, the, some of them became believers and became active in the early church. Amen. But the beauty of Jesus is this. Listen to me, church. He loves us so much that he won't allow us and he'll do everything possible that when we get involved in sin, that he'll come to us and come to us and come to us and come to us and, and, and deal with us and deal with our hearts and deal with the condition of our hearts because he understands what sin does to a human being. Don't you think when they dragged that woman in front of her, in front of him, don't you think he thought and realized when they said adultery, the pain, the hurt, that this unfaithfulness brought. Now, they want to see her stoned. Jesus is thinking, no, because in a, in a short period of time, I'm going to die for this woman. And when he stooped down and wrote their names in the dust, he's thinking on the inside, in a short period of time, I'm going to die for these men too. And I'm going to suffer. And I want my suffering to be worth something. So I want her and all her filth and all her degradation. I still want her. I want them with all their corruption, with all their hypocrisy, with all their false doctrine. I want them. Jesus' death was not cheap. 
And the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ is this, that although he is judge of the universe, he has chosen to deal with us knowing, according to Psalm 103, how we're wired, what we understand, what we've been exposed to, what we can be expected to comprehend. And he deals with us. He dealt with, with, this, with, this, with this woman. He deals with her with mercy and gentleness. But he also is using this as a teachable moment. Look, look, don't do this anymore. She had to think, man, if it wasn't for this guy, I'd be stoned to death. You see, the sad thing about this was, and I could imagine how Jesus must have felt, they were more concerned with the sins of her flesh than they were with the sins of their spirit. And you and I have to be very careful about that. You and I better be very, very aware how we judge people. You, you and I, be very, you need to be very, very careful that we don't get into a position to say, I would never do something like that. Honey, anybody under the right circumstances is capable of doing anything. So, so here's the beauty of Jesus is how he deals with sinners. Again, to the religious sinners, he points them to Scripture. Although they refuse, to, 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 they refuse him, he still offers himself. To the, to the sinner, the sexual sinner, he offers forgiveness while pointing her to freedom. He doesn't want to just forgive and he wants her free. He doesn't want you just forgiven. He doesn't want you just not going to hell. He wants you free. Now watch this now. One group is written in the dirt. The other person is lifted out of the dirt. Religion will keep you in the dirt. Jesus' desire is to lift you out of that dirt. Here's what I want to end up with. The beauty of Jesus is seen in his commitment to get us out of our sin. John chapter 15, verse 1. Please pay very special attention to these scriptures again. This is another very familiar portion of scripture to, to many of us. I am the true vine. Now, let me just back up a minute. This is John chapter what? What's happening while John chapter 15 is being recorded? Lord's Supper, this is the night before he's going to the cross. They're together. They've assembled themselves together. They, the disciples don't know this is the last meal they're going to have with him. But he does. The disciples have no clue what's going to happen that night, what's going to happen the next day. And one of the very last things that Jesus teaches to his disciples is this illustration. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now, do you have your Bibles open? Got your phone Bible? Verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Is that what your Bible says? How many of, how many of your Bibles say cut off? Nobody has a King James Bible in here tonight. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, and as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, 
He is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into fire, and they are burned. Go back to verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he what? That's a bad translation. Because in, in the original language, this is how it reads. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. That's a big difference, isn't it? This, this portion of scripture has been taught so wrong for so many years in so many places to bring nothing but guilt and condemnation and fear that when you make a mistake, the vine dresser's gonna come, lap you off, just cut you off of that vine. Yes or no? <laughs> but look what it says. In the original language, it doesn't say that. It says lift up. So what kind of picture do we have here? Here's the picture that we have. You see, the vine dresser, unless he's crazy, his goal is to produce as much fruit as possible. Yes or no? Why wouldn't he? Why would, you, why would you have a vineyard if you don't want to produce as much fruit as possible? So could you imagine every branch that falls, now it's still attached to the vine, you listening to me? But it's fallen, and it's wallowing in the dirt, and it's wallowing in all the fertilizer. Do I have to get graphic here? And so if it lays there long enough, the leaves are going to rot. Any fruit that it did produce is going to rot. Now, now watch. It's still connected to the vine. It's just fallen. And now it's wallowing in the dirt. Isn't that a picture of that woman that was caught? So what does a vine dresser do? An expert vine dresser, especially back in those days. Today, they brought me all kinds of technology to do this. But in the day when Jesus is using this illustration, the vine dresser's job was to every day go into the vineyard. And if there was a branch connected to the vine that's bearing fruit that has come dislodged, it's, it's kind of got off by itself, and, and it's fallen into the dirt, only a fool would cut that off and throw it away. Why? It's got some fruit on it. It's got some fruit on it. So what's he going to do? He very gently lifts it up. Now he's going to carry a bucket of water with him. He's going to carry some utensils with him. And he takes it, he dips that into the water, and he washes it. And then he dries it. And then he lifts it up. And then he puts it back where it should have been, where it was before, where it started producing some fruit. Are you getting the picture? Every one of us at some point in our lives are going to find ourselves wallowing in the dirt. We're still connected to the vine. Are, are you getting this tonight? And, and many times you say, how did I get to this? How, how did this happen? How could I, how could I? And some of us were raised to think, oh my God, I've fallen in the dirt. I'm wallowing in the dirt the master can't possibly use me anymore. I'm in danger now of being cut off and thrown into the fire. Now, only the ones that disconnected, only the ones that were not joined, if you read the rest of the scripture, those are the ones that got cast away. They were never part of the vine. Are you listening to me? 
Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He said, my father is the vine dresser. It's the father's responsibility that when you and I fall, when we find ourselves somehow in the dirt, in the manure, that he gently and lovingly comes and deals with us and lifts us up and washes us again with what? With the water of the word. And then gently, in his love and his compassion, puts us back in place of where we were so that we can continue to bear fruit and, and then corrects us and prunes off. That's no, and don't, you know, don't hang around here. And, and you might have to cut off that relationship. And you may have to you know, stop watching this and stop looking at that and, and, and stop going here. Are you listening to me tonight? He gently deals with us. Don't you thank God that the first time you sinned after you got born again, that the ground didn't open and swallow you and everything that you possess? Church, listen to me. I want to end this series tonight by offering an opportunity. Stand up, everyone. And listen to me. I, I pray in the name of Jesus that you hear my words from your heart. If there's one thing that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is good at doing is being a phony and putting on an act. And acting like everything's okay when everything's not okay. And again, at some point in our lives, every one of us find ourselves wallowing in the dirt. We didn't mean to get there. It wasn't supposed to happen. But it did. And the enemy of our souls comes along. The one who tempted us to begin with then comes back and says, look at what you've done. You're in the dirt. You're wallowing in the dirt. The master can't use you anymore. You're never again going to be able to produce fruit. Your life is over. Your, 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 your witness is done. Your relationship with the Lord is finished. He doesn't want you anymore. You're cast away. And people live with this. Or maybe it's not that extreme. Maybe it's not that extreme. Maybe it's just because you've entertained a couple of things. Now, you're still connected to the vine. But you've entertained some things and they've started, to they've started to darken your heart. Don't stay there. He loves you. He cares about you. He went to the cross for you. And if he had to do it over and over and over again, he would. But he went to the cross so that he would have the privilege and the right and the honor that when you find yourself wallowing in the dirt, that he will gently come along. Do you think he wants to lose you? He paid for you. He suffered for you. He died and went to hell for you. He doesn't want to lose you. He wants you. I'm going to ask you to really search your heart as the music ministry sings this song.
I want you to really respond from your heart. If you want that experience tonight of being lifted up by the Master, washed and cleansed and put back in place so that you can go continue to produce fruit and fruit that remains, I want you to get out of your seat, come up here. Nobody's going to embarrass you. But we need to respond. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.